great blessing. Thank you, guys. Well, I want to look at something I never really spoke of on Christmas, and that's the importance of the place where Jesus grew up, Nazareth. And it turned me to John chapter 1. Look at verses 43 through 46. I'll be bouncing around this morning in the scriptures. Uh, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand in our God's honor. So read. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence, our hearts, if not our knees, God, we are grateful that you love us beyond explanation, that you would leave heaven and come to this place and die on a cross. Father, your love is beyond understanding. But I'm grateful I don't have to understand it to receive it. And as we meet this day to celebrate your arrival, Lord. How awesome, how wonderful, how spectacular. How can we not just bubble over with praise as we consider how great the Father's love is for us. That a king would leave to come here. Father, we just worship and praise you for it all. And uh, God, this uh, weak preacher, as he seeks to talk, may we hear from your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I thought about small places. You know, we, we have this term insignificant where we say, well, there are some things that matter more than other things. And some places and some people are really insignificant. When I was in college, I had these two guys down the hall. And they were from back in the woods in North Carolina. One was from Pigpen, North Carolina. And the other one was from Lickskillet, North Carolina. And they said that was suburbs of Spruce Pie, North Carolina. Uh, I, I looked up a couple of places. I won't go on with, with all this, but there are a few names that you wonder. How did these places in the United States get these names? There's Boring, Oregon. You name your town Boring. Why Arizona? Why? Loafer's Glory, New Jersey. Sweet Lips, Tennessee. No commentary. Cranky Corner, Louisiana. Oh boy. Greasy, Oklahoma. Really, guys? <laughs> Nazareth was a place. There's really nothing else in the scriptures that speak of Nazareth. But was Nazareth insignificant? No. It was a place where Jesus is associated with, identified with. And, and, and we're going to look at that um, in Luke chapter 1. Um, we discover in verse 26. I'm, I'm march through the scriptures a little bit in this time. As the Mary comes, as, as uh, the angel comes to Mary... And in verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, In the sixth month, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So he came to this place, Nazareth. That that was not known in history or or known through the ages, but it was a place God handpicked. It was a place that was special and it was in Nazareth that this child would come. And, and, and yeah, we know the Christmas story that there was this census and that Mary and Joseph took off uh, while she was still waiting for the child to be born and, and ended up in Bethlehem where the hope of all hopes would make his appearance in human form talking about Jesus Christ and in that baby form. And, and then as he would take off for a time as there was this mad king who was looking to wipe out this baby who would be the king that would overcome even his rule. And then by the time of four or five years old, he would end up back in that town of Nazareth to grow up. It's interesting as Philip came and with Nathaniel and he says, come see this one. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This place that's small, this place that doesn't seem to matter. Well, I just want to look at a couple of reasons why Nazareth's not insignificant, why it matters. And, of course, the truth of the matter is, I don't think there's really anyone or any place that's truly insignificant because God's allowed it to be. So it must matter. And we're going to look at that first Nazareth obviously is significant because it was prophesied. In Matthew 2, verse 23, we read about that prophecy. It speaks of Christmas. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. And that text was taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A prophecy spoken of him. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. That word branch is the root word from which is translated Nazareth or Nazarene. So this one, he'll, he'll be a Nazarene. He, he will be from Nazareth. And over 300 prophecies that point to Jesus coming in the Old Testament. And, and this is one of those calling cards, one of those identifications of the one who was going to come. And it's interesting as you do a word study of Nazareth, uh, as it's mentioned, associated with Jesus about 30 times. And I want to just look at a few of these as it marches us through Jesus. The first one we've already covered in John 1. Can anything good come out of Nazareth in uh, that meeting. And, and then we find him in Luke chapter 4. Term is we're going to march through the Gospels here. Luke chapter 4. He has an encounter. With one who is possessed by a demon. And in 4 verse 34. He says ha. What do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth? This one who's possessed saying this. Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Then in in Mark chapter 14, we read about a different encounter. 
verse 67. Uh, this is where Peter has been told by Jesus, hey, you're going to disown me. And Peter's like, no, not me, Lord. And then he finds himself in that position. And, and this, uh, it says in verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, the high priest, came by. When she saw Peter worrying himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. Identified as a Nazarene. In John chapter 19. Well, I'm working you guys through the Bible, aren't I, this morning? That's not a bad thing. To hear Bible pages turning should be a, sure is a blessing to a preacher. Sweet music. John 19, 19. As we read, it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. This sign read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then in Mark sixteen six, at least I'm just marching through the uh, Gospels here. It could be worse, guys. That last chapter, Mark sixteen six, it says, Don't be afraid. He said, You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So there was the place, the crucifixion, there was a place at the resurrection that he's spoken of as the Nazarene. And and then one more in Acts chapter, well actually two more. We're in the book of Acts this time. We're going to look at the start of Acts and the end of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, in this sermon that's preached by Peter in this time that we call Pentecost, where God's Spirit broke loose and many were saved and there was just incredible movement of God. But in verse 22 of Acts 2, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And so as Peter spoke, he, he spoke of Jesus the Nazarene, this place Nazarene. One more in Acts chapter 22, verse 8. This is when Paul is, boy, he's been crucified, he's been persecuting and hurting God's people, the church, and then he finds himself face to face with Jesus and ends up blinded and on his knees. And while he's there in verse 8, he says, Who are you, Lord? I am... Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he said. So isn't it interesting? We have angels, Gabriel, speaking of him as Jesus of Nazareth. We have demons who point him out as Jesus of Nazareth. We have his friends and his enemies. And even Jesus himself refers to himself as Jesus of Nazareth. So Nazareth must have had some worth beyond just the prophecy. That foretold that Jesus of Nazareth was the one to come. I mean, why wasn't he called Jesus of Bethlehem? After all, that's the place where he first arrived in that manger, in that feeding trough. Or he could have been called Jesus of Capernaum because that's where most of his ministry occurred. Where he touched people and healed them. And minister to them. Or even Jesus of Israel. Because he came to the Jews. He came to the nation of Israel. To bring forth the truth. But he's spoken of as Jesus of Nazareth. Why? And I just want to look at a couple of reasons here. With our time that remains. Um, first. Everything about Jesus' birth. Was plain and simple. 
Jesus was not about the stage. He was not about celebrity celebrity status. I mean, think about it. Where was he born? Basically, he was born in a barn, born in a and placed in a feeding trough. The first announcement wasn't made to princes or to kings or to major politicians, but was made to common shepherds. He was born in a common place in Bethlehem. He grew up in a common place, Nazareth. That was our Lord. So why just the common place? Um, if you've ever been into a jewelry store, I think of Dwayne knows a lot more about this than me, but typically when they show diamonds and precious gems, they'll put it on a background of black velvet. Why? Because they want the gem to, to stand out, to sparkle and to be easily seen. And Jesus himself was placed against the backdrop of humanity. In all of our sinfulness and our weakness, he shined. As God, as we got a precious look of how God appears and who he is. In, in the backdrop of our need of a Savior, we saw the beauty of the Savior of all. Psalm 144, verse 3. O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? What does he think of us? He sent Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about merely the giving of gifts, but about the fact he sent a gift that gave us forgiveness, that gave us hope, guys, that gave us another chance. I love this poem that describes uh, the simplicity of Jesus. I'm so glad he was not born in some rich palace bed. I'm so glad to know it was a lowly place instead. A place where soft-eyed cows and sheep were sheltered and fed. For the to the country born of earth, a stable will ever be a wholesome place. Where night comes down with its tranquility. A place of heart's ease and content for all who choose to see. And so I like to think of him first opening his eyes in that good elemental place beneath the friendly skies. That the men of fields could find him there as well as the great and wise. So he grew up in Nazareth to show that he came in a simple way. One more reason as I close. God didn't want Jesus to be tied with the money and majesty that comes with the celebrity status. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 31. It says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Even in the church, we often live in a day of celebrity. Who's the guy that's on TV? Or, or who's the guy that has the latest, greatest idea? Who, who's the guy that people tune into? Who's, who's that one? That we can get to, you know, to, to connect with the people. There's that need of, of you got to be somebody in order to do something. 
You know, I heard about one preacher and he was at one of these conventions and he and his buddy were trying to impress some guys and one of the guys that came up to him and said, I hadn't seen you in a long time, Hank. Said, Tell me about your church. I mean, how many do you have come on a Sunday morning? He said, between four and 5,000. Wow, that's awesome, man. May God keep using you. Keep serving him. Keep trucking for Jesus. Marched away and his buddy said, Hank, he said, Hank, I don't get it. I thought you said that you guys uh, average between 75 and, and 80 on a Sunday morning. He said, well, that's between four and 5,000. Sometimes we try to fudge it just a little bit to get the attention. But the truth of the matter is, guys, what matters is not what kind of celebrity you are or what kind of celebrity I am. What matters is Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. It's about Him transforming and changing our lives and about being the ultimate hope that we also desperately need. God wasn't looking for the wise or influential or the normal, noble born. Instead, He chose people that's common. People that would be looked over, people that might be missed. I mean, after all, think about his whole life. He represented that. His birth was in a common manger in a common place called Bethlehem. And he grew up in a a common little town called Nazareth. And he chose 12 common guys to be his disciples and his followers that he would use to spread his message of hope. There was nothing about them that stood out. I think of Acts 4 verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, Ordinary men, they were astonished. (laughs) And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, there was the key. They thought, how in the world can these ordinary, uneducated guys be so bold? And have such a passion. And and they looked at him, wow. And said, oh, they had been with Jesus. Hey, that's what it's about at Christmas. About Jesus coming to us and us realizing that we can spend time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came. He drove home that fact over and over again. He came to people who needed God, who knew He knew what they were going through, and He listened. That's Jesus. That's who He is. That's Jesus of Nazareth. He knows us insignificant people, and His coming was significant to make the difference. Um, you know, pretty much Nazareth still only really big claim to fame as many tourists flock through there is Jesus was there. And pretty much the only real lasting claim of fame of any church, regardless of there, there's four or 5,000 or 75, is that Jesus was there. And and really, the only claim to fame is not that Jesus was merely in the building, but that those who walked out, Jesus walked out with them, living in their hearts, making a difference, and transforming their lives. Because Christmas is not just about a baby coming. It's about a Savior who came and offered hope, and still does today. Let's pray. Father, uh, how awesome. To be here today and to be reminded that we are not without hope. And although we at times feel like we're insignificant, that we don't matter. Well, it's just a lie, Lord. 
Obviously, we matter. You love us. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. That you came to those that would be missed. And you brought a second chance. You brought a new hope. You, you brought forgiveness. We use big terms like redemption and salvation. The Father, all it simply means is, I was broken and you came to mend me. I was hurting and you came to heal me. I was in trouble and you came to save me. Thank you for all that, Lord. And now we want to take some time just to respond to you. Because Christmas is not just about coming to church to see Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus. And so, Father, we want to make sure that everybody catches a wonderful glimpse of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to open the heart, maybe for the first time, to say, Jesus, I am hurting. I'm a mess. Forgive me. Enter my heart. Make me new. Give me a a, a second chance. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might just work throughout this place this morning and that we would hear from you and that we would understand that when we come to you and we are honest and say, here I am, warts and all, Lord, I'm yours. That at that moment you accept us and you forgive us and offer a new life and another chance. And Father, for those of us who have already made that decision, but maybe we've drifted, (laughs) maybe we just need... Another look at you. May this morning that occur. Because your love's always there. Your arms are always open wide. And, and you don't reject us. The only time there's rejection is when we just continue to refuse you until we pass into eternity. Death. So, Father, there's one here and they feel like, ah, it's too late. It's not. May they come to you this morning. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Christmas. And mostly thank you for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.